You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Welcome to T-Minus Deep Space from N2K Networks. I'm Maria Varmazis, host of the T-Minus Space Daily Podcast. Deep Space includes extended interviews and bonus content for a deeper look into some of the topics that we cover on our daily program. ENI Space has designed a palm-sized propulsion option for future space missions. The electrospray technology is being developed as a cost and mass-effective method of propelling CubeSats and other small satellites. For the first time in Europe, this ionic, liquid-based electrospray propulsion system has achieved more than 400 hours of continuous operation. And to learn more about this, I spoke to ENI Space co-founder and CEO Daniel Perez Grande and asked where the idea came from to develop this kind of tech. My name is Daniel Perez Grande. I'm the CEO and co-founder of uh, ENI Space. I guess being on a space podcast, I should kind of like give some of my credentials. So I am an aerospace engineer. Uh, and then uh, after working for a few years in the industry, I went on to uh, to do a PhD in uh, nuclear fusion and plasma physics. But that was with an application in particular for uh, space propulsion technologies. And in fact, that's where I met the rest of my co-founders at ENI Space. And once we, uh, you know, once we finished our PhDs, we were... I guess very aware that academia was not necessarily where we wanted to to be, uh, and uh, for the rest of our lives, it wasn't where uh, the I guess the most exciting stuff in in space tech was was happening. So we decided to start a, a company, and uh, yeah, and almost five years later, that's uh, that's where we are. So tell us a bit about what your company does and what you all are working on. ENI is a space mobility company. I'd like to mention, by the way, that the word ENI comes from Greek. Uh, you mentioned, Maria, that you're originally Greek. Uh, it's old Greek, and it's the word that was used to derive the word ion. In uh, uh, Faraday, Michael Faraday used that to derive the word ion, which are charged particles, right? And we we do ion propulsion, right? So our core products are, are centered around ion propulsion. Um, so we th- we thought it was a it was a it was kind of like a, a good reference to that. In, in fact, in in old Greek, it means to go, right? So to go with ions. I think it, it's kind of like a uh, it, it really makes sense uh, as a as a name for the company. 
You get brownie points from me for that. Not that it counts for anything, but I love that. So thank you. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so we're, we're a space mobility company. Um, our core products are around ion propulsion or electropropulsion, as people know it uh, in, in the field. Um, but we're not just a propulsion company. We, we like to say that, uh, you know, since we have a lot of core know-how around propulsion, around uh, flight dynamics, around maneuvering in space. Um, there was a lot of, when, when we started the company, there was really a lot of uh, pain points that we were seeing in the industry that could be solved by bringing that knowledge into uh, basically satellite builders. So um, we, so again, you know, we do propulsion, but we're not just a propulsion company. We are actually creating an ecosystem of products, um, both hardware and software, um, to to really uh, uh, streamline as much as possible the every aspect in the mission related to propulsion. And in fact, because propulsion can be quite critical for uh, uh, for any any space mission that's that's worth its name, basically, um, you really need to start looking into it as early as possible in the mission. So we have a software that can help you uh, during your mission anal analysis and definition, you know, can help you select the right propulsion system, can help you understand your propulsive requirements. And we're also gonna start developing this year a software for operations focused on space mobility. So I like to make the analogy that, you know, if you're building a spacecraft, if you're building a satellite, right, you're not gonna go and tell like the rocket launcher what's the best trajectory to take because that's a completely different field, right? But you do have to integrate a propulsion system in your satellite, and you do have to um, uh, then, you know, choose what are the, the best maneuvers for that, right? So we want to help those spacecraft builders, those spacecraft operators, uh, with or core know-how, which is related to propulsion, to to carry out those 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 operations. So in that sense, we we're able to kind of really, you know, join uh, or or help our clients really at the beginning of their missions, all the way towards the end of the mission. Hmm. Well, that's a fascinating uh, proposition there. Um, so tell me a little bit about what makes you guys different. Uh, so I saw the word miniaturization in there. Um, <laughs> this is sort of a little taste of that. Tell me more about all that. That's really neat. Yeah. So, um, you know, when when we started about five years ago, I think CubeSats, right, were all the rage. Everybody was like trying to do CubeSats. There were people doing even Pico satellites, which were smaller than than, than CubeSats, right? And and there's a lot of like business models being built around that. I think Planet very uh, famously, you know, kind of has sent up something like 450 uh, CubeSats out there, like on the, on, on the doves, right? And I think people are now moving towards larger things. Um, but at the time that, you know, there's a lot about, there was a lot of word, uh, a lot of um, uh, interest in, in miniaturization. And in fact, I have to tell you that the miniaturization of particularly electropropulsion systems, because chemical propulsion systems are a little bit different, unfortunately, because they consume quite a lot of propellant, you can't really miniaturize them that much because at the end, you still need to carry that propellant, that minimum amount of propellant, so that you can um, uh, you can actually do your mission. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you can do <laughs> yeah. your stuff, right? Uh, yeah. But electropropulsion was actually you know brought into as a technology because it saves a lot of mass. But when you start miniaturizing those propulsion systems, traditionally those electropropulsion systems, particularly those based on plasmas, so uh, people might recognize Hall effect thrusters or gridded ion thrusters. Unfortunately, the efficiency of these systems just just, just goes really low. It, it just it, it's basically. We joke internally that they're really expensive light bulbs. Um, and this is, I'm, I'm probably going to get a lot of people out there uh, mad at me for saying this, but <laughs> but you look at them and they look they look really cool. You have your plasma beam out there. It's ionized. So it's almost like looking at, at one of those like cool LEDs or whatever, but you're not really generating that much thrust. Um, so little puffs, right? The, like little, yeah, it's yeah, like, it's, yeah. yeah, exactly. It, it looks, it glows. It looks really cool. Kind of like this bluish glow, but, but, um, at low powers, you're just not, not very efficient. Um, which is, which is by the way, the, the, the main KPI for electropropulsion, right? Efficiency. So, um, 
you know, we uh, we came out of university. We 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 didn't have a propulsion that we had to like, you know, kind of a, a legacy propulsion that we we wanted to commercialize. So we had the freedom to just look into what are the best best technologies out there um, to 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 work. And we found one that was actually it's very interesting. Actually, it was it was developed originally in the 70s by NASA. They were called at the time they were called colloid thrusters. So it was basically using a mixture of salts and liquids. So the liquids became conductive, and through electric fields, you could extract those charged uh, molecules, accelerate them under an electric field, and, and shoot them out and generate thrust. And this was originally developed back in the 70s. At the time, the, the let's say these systems were, you know, where they shine is in that miniaturization. And back then, satellites were huge, right? So it wasn't, you, you just couldn't do anything with these systems. And then in the 2000s at MIT, there were a couple of professors, actually one Mexican and one Spanish, which kind of like started looking back into, into these type of technologies. And I think the the word that was kind of coined at the time was electrospray, which has actually been used as, as a different technology for, for other, in, in other fields. Um, and, and there's actually some, some Nobel prizes associated to electrosprays as well. Um, but you can actually very efficiently shoot out these these ions, and the the core, uh, uh, let's say, of these technologies is that instead of using these plasmas, these really nice glowing plasmas, which unfortunately at low powers are very inefficient in terms of propulsion, you're using a propellant. In our case, uh, we call it a uh, an ionic liquid or a molten salt. So if, it's, it's as if you had basically table tabletop salt, right? But instead of being solid, it was liquid, and if you if you coat uh, with that salt, basically a, a particular geometrical arrangement, which is our, what we call the emitter, and you put an electric field on that, you start shooting out ions. And those are the ions that are generating thrust. Um, and, and the really cool thing about that is that in order to do this, you actually need to go down to the microscale and even down to the nanoscale. So these emitters that I'm talking about, when we manufacture them, we use technologies from the semiconductor industry. So the same technologies that you're using for microfabrication of microchips, we use those to sculpt these geometrical uh, structures that help you concentrate the electric field and start shooting out those ions from the, uh, from the molten salt. Um, and we use that those microtechnologies and those nanotechnologies in order to to achieve these these very compact and very small propulsion systems. And in fact, they are so small that they they you know basically you can hold them in your hand. It's it's a it's a propulsion system that fits on the palm of your hand. It's a pocket rocket, if you want to use that that phrase. Uh, <laughs> that's dangerous, and, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's true. That's true. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. Uh, but but and and in fact, the first propulsion system that we made, uh, the one, the first one that went up, which went up on the Firefly Alpha Two mission a couple of years, uh, end of twenty twenty two, was actually not even on a CubeSat. It was actually on a Pico satellite. I mean, we can make it that small, and the reason for doing that was because we wanted to really explore how small could we go, how small can we make this technology. Because in the same way as microchips, where you're generating, you're basically manufacturing hundreds of them or whatever, right? The, the good thing about this technology is you can manufacture these kind of like single propulsion units, and you, then you can add more or less depending on how much thrust you actually need for your mission, right? And, and that efficiency is going to be independent of the amount of emitters that you add to your propulsion system. So we have a propulsion system that is focused on miniaturization, thanks to this electrospray technology, which is built with micro and nanotechnology. But the what the key characteristic, aside from the fact that it's extremely efficient at low powers, is that it's also customizable. We can we choose the number of electrospray emitters, we choose the amount of propellant that you're going to be carrying to orbit. That means that we can cater particularly to the requirements of our uh, clients, both from their uh, mission and platform perspective. 
And I'd like to add that, in fact, we've also built other products that help us do that. So we now have a software, which is actually our first product on the market. It's called 360. It's a space uh, mobility emission analysis software. And what that software allows us to do is to basically look at your problem, look at your mission, and help you decide Listen, if you want to go for a chemical propulsion system, you can also do that. The software enables you to study those kinds of systems. But if you want to go with us, we can tell you exactly what configuration of the propulsion system you're going to need and the best one that, to, to fit your mission and platform. We'll be right back after this quick break. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero-trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. My goodness, one of those on its own would be impressive, but the fact that you're doing many of those is is, is quite a lot. That that is super cool. Um, <laughs> you, when you were talking about the semiconductor, uh, especially part, I was thinking about the crystalline structures that are used in with wafers. And I, I, I sorry, my brain went went down that rabbit hole a little Look, bit. <laughs> there's, a, there's an article right. There's an article that uh, fizz.org came out uh, a couple last week actually on or propulsion systems and it's very cool because you can actually see that like the picture that we have there is a hand holding a wafer and that like we we use again we use semiconductor technology to to manufacture propulsion systems and they're manufactured directly on silicon wafers um, oh my gosh so it's, yeah it's pretty cool yeah it's 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 you know it's one of these things where i'm a big science fiction geek and you know like on, on all those movies when you see like you know uh something that resembles like a spacecraft and then you see the propulsion system and you're like this doesn't look like any propulsion system that I've ever seen in my life, right? It's not a rocket. It doesn't have, you know, whatever. The first time I saw a SEM, so a scanning electron microscope image of or micro uh, propulsion emitters, right? Or electrospray emitters, which have to be imaged at the micro scale because otherwise you can't see them. I thought, this doesn't look like anything like any propulsion system that I've ever seen, right? It's So it was a big kind of like sci-fi geeky moment for me because it was like, this is kind of science fiction a little bit, you know, like you, you you could see it and you wouldn't imagine that that's ever going to be used for propulsion. But we are generating thrust in our lab and and uh, hopefully in the future and, and, and many, uh, many satellite platforms out there. 
it, it is so fascinating. We will definitely link everything you've mentioned. It'll be in our show notes for uh, listeners who want to take a look because that picture is really fascinating. And also just what you said, <laughs> as you were walking me through it, I'm going that, that definitely, I've never heard of anything quite like that, uh, but it is fascinating. So uh, congratulations to you and your team. Uh, that, this is really cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. We're excited by um, it too. We're excited by it too. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, what a, which is fascinating. So yeah, tell me about what you're working on now, maybe who you're working with, any partnerships that are of interest you want to highlight? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're based in Spain, uh, although we have also offices in uh, Sweden, uh, in uh, north of Europe. Uh, we are actually planning to move over to the U.S. as well in uh, probably next year. So we do want to open up, uh, you know, some offices uh, there and potentially move some of the manufacturing also towards the U.S. I mean, we're very much aware that uh, the U.S. market for space is is the biggest market out there. So that's something that we need to uh, that we need to do as a company. Um, but we, we wanted to do this at the right time when, when basically when the, when the products were already kind of like tried and tested and we had product market fit at the end we are a startup we we need to demonstrate the same thing as other startups product market fit scalability that kind of stuff um so we wanted to do that at the right time especially because in the US um there are companies already kind of like you know working on propulsion so we couldn't be just like the newcomer and just like saying like oh it's going to be 2 years until we have the product we wanted to go out and have the product ready so um, we, uh, in order to do that, so, uh, uh, you know, going back to where we are right now, so we have one software that's out in the market. Uh, we're basically, uh, we did a, a closed beta for the software last year. We had about 35 companies from the industry. Actually, a couple of them were American as well, uh, working on, uh, working, testing out the software. They provided us a lot of good feedback. We're implementing that now. And we, I mean, we actually released, uh, released sorry, the, the, the software tool commercially uh, end of last year. And we're, we have a few clients now that we're starting to, to onboard into the tool. So that's that's a very exciting time for the software software team, hardware perspective. Um, we just actually passed a major milestone. So um, end of last year, we demonstrated... Yeah, thank you. So we demonstrated that the thruster could operate for... Uh, 400 hours straight. And in fact, we didn't do more hours because we didn't expect that particular test to be able to run for so long. Um, so, so we just <laughs> didn't great. put enough propellant. We just didn't put enough propellant into the thruster. Uh, but we demonstrated, yeah, 400 hours operation. And the, the critical aspect always with electropropulsion is your lifetime. You need to be able to deliver thrust because you're delivering very little thrust, very efficient, efficiently from the point of view of fuel, right? So it consumes very little propellant. Sometimes it doesn't generate too much thrust. That's why the efficiency of the system, the overall efficiency is so important. But uh, but you're delivering that 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 kind of like small amount of thrust. But you need to do it over a long amount of time, and then lifetime becomes the second most critical KPI after efficiency. You know, if you look at a lot of the companies that are out there, a lot of the startups, of course, we're not the only ones out there trying to deliver an electropropulsion system. You know, you ask them about the um, about the uh, lifetime and kind of like the conversation goes a little bit quiet. So 500 hours is really the minimum. So we did 400 hours. 500 hours is the minimum commercial amount of time that we know that we we need to have in order to to deliver a commercial thruster. So one that can actually carry out missions in space, a uh, thousand hours would actually be the 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 actual target that we would like, and then we're hoping to be able to raise it to about two thousand hours of operation, continuous operation, which then would put us with with basically up there with with most of the propulsion systems that are worth their name, basically. So in order to do that, we're we're currently carrying out a technology maturation uh, pro process or program uh, for. We're, we call our propulsion systems Athena. It's adaptable thruster based on electrospray powered by nanotechnology. Love all these Greek names, by the way. Just really appreciating that. Just <laughs> it's uh, yeah, exactly. 
or mission patch is kind of like Athena kind of like holding one of her thrusters. So it's it's it's, I it's mean, very cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. And uh but yeah, so we have a technology maturation program for that right now. We just passed that major milestone milestone and ideally we are going to be releasing the thruster commercially towards the end of the year. What we have planned for this is at the moment, we have booked two uh, space missions uh, with uh, two European companies to fly uh, two thrusters uh, at the end of the year. And what we're trying to achieve here basically is not to come out to the industry and say like, hey, look, we flew once, now we have a product. Nobody really believes that anymore, right? So you need to demonstrate and demonstrate and demonstrate. And so we at least have these two missions now, and we're planning at least two more missions in early 2025. But we're sure that, you know, with these two missions uh, already playing out, we're going to be able to to give enough confidence to our initial clients to, I think, really take the risk on on just what we see as a, as a better technology, uh, just a better propulsion technology uh, compared to what's out there right now. And uh, in fact, we already have a few companies that have reached out and are kind of like in line to to purchase, let's say the first, uh, the first thrusters that we're able to deliver. So it's exciting times for the company, to be honest. Uh, very exciting times. You know, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you know five years is a long time for a startup. Space tech startups, you know, obviously take a lot of time to build that that product. Uh, we had, I think, I always mention it as kind of like a double-sided sword, right? Like we had. We were very lucky in the sense that we didn't have any legacy technologies that we needed to kind of like bring to market because I think that would have fundamentally biased us in choosing the right technology for the market. But that also meant that we had to deliver, uh, develop everything from scratch. So uh, that's why it's taking <laughs> a little bit longer than we hope than we wished. Uh, but yeah, we're still we're still healthy as a company, and and um, yeah, again, closing our first contracts for uh, the software for 360, and um, yeah, and and putting in place in place the the first contracts for the for the propulsion system Athena as well. Honestly, it's very impressive. And uh, one of the last startups that I worked at, we always joked that we would age in dog years for every year we worked at the startup. So exactly. um, seriously, uh, it's 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 incredibly impressive what you're working on. And I, I wish you all the best. And I'm, I look forward to hearing more about how things go. So please definitely stay in touch. Um, I, I want to make sure, because you've given the, the awesome pitch and told us about the, your market and your plans. I want to make sure if there's anything you want to conclude with to, to let our audience know more about you or uh, anything you want to let them know. I just wanted to give you that opportunity. Sure. Uh, just, you know, uh, if you're interested in what we're up to, just check us out at eni.space. Uh, very easy to, to follow. That's uh, I-E-N-A-I. I, I know the spelling is a little bit more difficult, but again, Greek, uh, <laughs> uh, Greek words. You can follow us on LinkedIn uh, as well. And uh, we, we we do try to like, you know, tell a lot about or, you know, tell the community a lot about what we're up to. Um, and uh, yeah, you can also catch us next year at uh, uh, SmallSat Conference in Utah. Uh, we're going to be out there. And um, uh, yeah, hopefully we can, we can uh, you know, uh, figure out more partnerships and figure out how to get more more of our propulsion systems or micro propulsion systems microfabricated and uh, uh, silicon thrusters out to uh, US companies which that would be amazing for us so uh, looking forward to uh, yeah talking to anyone that's interested that's it for T minus deep space for January 13th 2024. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures that we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth, mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Jen Iben. Our VP is Brandon Karp. 
And I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. <laughs>